Hopefully. All right. Is anybody waiting on anybody? Practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example, for they don't practice what they teach. 
They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On, on, on their arms, they wear extra, extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels. And they love to sit at the head, at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. A few questions I have. What do they love? And is it God? They love what people thought of them. And they love being treated a certain way. And they did not include God in that list. Now, I do want to say in verse 2, the official interpreters of the law of Moses, um, they held the seat of Moses in most interpretations. Most, what is that called? Translation. Most translations say they held the seat of Moses. Moses was the leader of the entire people of Israel. They held that seat. They had that authority. That was their job. Moses loved God and was faithful to God. They were not. They were faithful to being called rabbi. Next one. Don't let anyone call you rabbi, for you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. Pause. That's what Jesus said. They loved being called teacher. <coughs> Jesus says, don't. Don't even go there. Keep going. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your father. Pause real quick. Let's bring up Catholicism. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. I'm going to go there. How can you have a doctrine of calling the man in charge of shepherding a flock a parish father when directly in Matthew 23 it says not to? How can we have that? Should then we not question everything else they've done? Mm -hmm. We should. Keep going. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Greatest in the kingdom is the servant law. Jesus is trying to flip it on its head. He's saying, stop thinking about how much honor you have here on earth. Stop thinking about what people call you. Stop thinking about what you look like. Because the kingdom of heaven operates in a different system than the kingdom of the world. In the kingdom of heaven, the servant of all is the greatest. Because it's the exact opposite of the, of the, king, of the way of the world. In the world, you're rich enough, you get everybody to do everything else for you. In the world, if you're poor, you are the servant of others. But in the kingdom of heaven, the servant of all is the greatest. Because it's completely opposite to what people think. So what, whatever your like natural intuition is about like who you think God is, like just with no scripture or anything, you're like, oh, God's probably like that. Reject it, flip it on its head, and then you're probably closer. As a general rule. Just keep rolling. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. 
you yourselves do not enter, nor, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. Pause for a second. Oh. <laughs> now, real quick, let's talk about mission trips. Oh. <laughs> I'm going there. I'm sorry. If you are not stable in your own faith, what business do you have going overseas and pretending to love, like the mission trip will make you a better Christian? That the mission trip will elevate your own role within the church? What is that worth? If you have no business discipling people here, no business teaching, preaching, and healing where you are in your Jerusalem, in your hometown, what business do you have going overseas? They had mission trips. Jesus says mission trips are bad. What's different about us? Do we exist in a different time? I mean, technically, he died a few years after this, so like we're like post-crucifixion, we're there pre-crucifixion, but <laughs> it doesn't change anything. He still came proclaiming the new covenant. We are under the same covenant with God. Why are we acting like we're different? Keep rolling. Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? You also say, if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath. You blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. And anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. They had their own way of making oaths, of making promises, of deciding where their allegiance lies. And Jesus just like pretty much comes in and just crashes all down. He's like, well, that's kind of trash. And so they came up with their own rules just based on like what they thought were natural extensions of God. They were like, oh, this is the devil that God has for us. It makes sense in our brain to do it like this. And Jesus was like, well, that's not good. Honestly, and this is like, this is honestly just conjecture on my part. You can agree, disagree, and we can still be friends. You can actually disagree with anything I say and we can still be friends because I'm cool. Uh, like cool is in like okay with anything, not like cool is in like I'm actually cool because I'm not. Um, <laughs> just throwing that out there. But like my conjecture is that the the Pharisees, the teachers of law, were like fake ultra spiritual about this. They were like, oh, we're super spiritual that we make oaths by the temple and everything in the temple. And Jesus was like, stop being fake ultra spiritual. Stop being fake. What do you got, Molly? I wasn't going to ask this, but I think it's kind of important. What did it take to, like, become a Pharisee? Like, I think I kind of have an idea in my head, but, like, it wasn't like you were born into it, were you? Or did you have to, like, train to be one? You didn't have to go to school. Uh, yeah, I But I think to, be, to get into the school, it is largely by your family. Okay, well, that's what... Okay. So, like, the leader... You basically had to grow up as a yeah. Pharisee. Okay, so it was like a... 
guess like, group. yeah, I kind I of, that, they, they had been learning the Torah from an early age, like as soon as they could, like were able to start repeating things, um, most Pharisees honestly had the entire Torah memorized, so like the first five books of the Bible, they were just like, oh yeah, cool, it's like, up there, yeah. so, cool. they've been at it for a while. the qualifications, but they've been training for years, like, I don't, I don't 100% know, and oh. I would be interested in learning more about I'm, that. I'm, Um, 
Test in the waters. <laughs> yeah. One of this works. If it doesn't work, well. He was like mad. I yeah. Remember, like, it, I, it, it was, was a long upset. time ago that I read it, and he just got like super PO'd. And yeah, it was like an eight year old like cheated him at some game, so he just like. And he just like. Thanos awesome. stabbed him. Thanos <laughs> Original Thanos question mark? Yeah, but then he, but he brought him back, and it was okay. Um, but like a, a lot of people like look at that now and they're like, oh, so that's why the book of James wasn't included. And honestly, the way that we look at that is way different. Anybody else like in that time, uh, more surrounding like the, the, the God in flesh had power over life and death is like their conclusion from that. Our conclusion is, wow, that's kind of psycho. <laughs> <laughs> so like just saying, you can you draw different conclusions based on your own pretext. Just saying. Next one. Let's keep rolling. What are we all now? The 20, 25 to 33. I got it. Go for it. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and selfish indulgence. You blind Pharisees first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurities. Outwardly, you look like religious people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, you are you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes, sons of vipers, how will you escape the judgment of hell? <coughs> so that's why I'm pretty cautious if anybody looks like they have their life together. Because <laughs> the Pharisees looked like that. They looked like they were holy and pure. But on the inside, they were filled with disease. They were filled with decomposing remains of people. Because their heart was after something other than God. <coughs> And I'm not saying you can't look good. I'm not saying you can't look like you have your life together. Because even Jesus says you clean the inside of the cup and the outside will be clean. But your focus is on the inside. It's like in 2 Corinthians 5. Or 1 Corinthians 5. He says, uh, so those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than a pure heart. And I think that's a direct like, like relation to this. Do you brag about how good your church is, how good your services are, how, how many people you have? Or do you brag about your heart? Do you brag about your commitment to Scripture? Do you brag about being after God and God alone? Or do you brag about the numbers? brag about how it looks from the outside? That's why I don't trust stuff that looks good from the outside. But sure, we can get there, and that's fine. Like I'm not saying like all things that look good from the outside are bad, but I'm saying... I'm cautious of those. What do you got, Kai? Um, just like, I 
using the word brag too, it reminded me of I would go solve more by weakness that verse. Mm -hmm. And I think like within the frame of everything you just listed, it's really important that if you're bragging about even reading your Bible and being after God, like it has to be in that context of weakness. It can't be like, oh, I read the Bible all the time, so I have more knowledge and can correct other people. It has to be, I'm in my Bible because I know that I need it. Because that turns it back to God. That turns it back to like, God has all this power and I want to chase it because of him, not because I'm a better Christian and I get more purity points if my Bible street street whatever is longer than yours. And I think like it turns into that a lot of like people are like, oh right, so I'll boast about God and I'll boast about following God. And it's like, no, boast about what God has done because you are willing to be weak enough to let him. would be like, oh, I'm a prophet of the Lord. Hey, here's what he's got for you. People wouldn't like it, and they would kill him. They would run him out into the wilderness. They would dishonor them. They would destroy them. All sorts of bad things happened. And then in this time, the Pharisees were like, oh, we're going to build tombs for these prophets who our people just killed and threw in the gutter. And so they had these big monuments, and they said to themselves, if we were there, we surely would have listened. We would have listened to the prophets. They wouldn't have died. We would have given them a seat of honor right next to the king. Jesus says, in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you were indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. As in, you follow their pattern. If you were there, you would still murder the prophets. <coughs> Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. He's referring to his own crucifixion. He says, you are those same people, and you're going to prove it by crucifying me. You are those same people. If you think that you are, you are too wise or too far removed from the situation to not repeat the pattern of your ancestors, you're wrong, and you're going to prove it by murdering me. So if we think we are too wise and too removed from the situation to not repeat the pattern of our ancestors, to not repeat the pattern of the Pharisees set before us, 
And testifying against that, we prove it to ourselves. If you're saying, oh, we surely are not like the Pharisees. We surely would have followed Jesus. We surely would not have pursued his crucifixion. Because he taught things that were against the common teaching of the day. Right before this, he questioned something. He said, why, is you, why are you calling the Messiah son of David? Because David calls the Messiah Lord. So that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't line up with scripture. And because he questioned that, he questioned that over and over they persecuted him and they crucified him. Who are we to say that we will not persecute and crucify those who question with Scripture? If we testify that, we will only prove it. If we think that we are so wise and so far removed that we will not repeat the pattern of the Pharisees, we are deceiving ourselves. Finish it up, 34 through 36. Therefore I am sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify, others you will flog in your own synagogues and pursue from town to town. And so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on earth. From the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Barika, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come on this generation. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those who sent you, who sent, who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to your, to your desolate. For I, I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. <coughs> so that's Matthew 23. It's not a very fun chapter. And honestly, I'm just going to be straightforward. A lot of pastors, a lot of preachers will not teach on this chapter. They just avoid it. A lot of people won't even touch this chapter because they think they're above it. They think, oh, that was Jesus coming against the Pharisees of the day. But even within this chapter, we see it's not just for the Pharisees of the day. It's for the Pharisees that, that murdered the prophets thousands of years ago. It's for anybody who murders those who come in the name of the Lord. Anybody who persecutes those who come in the name of the Lord. Spend time with Matthew 23. I encourage you. Don't take my word for it. Let's keep rolling. Malachi. Can I say something real quick? Go for it. Sorry. Um, I was just thinking, especially like in that chapter, it really helps just like, I don't know, for you to have like a hard check in. I feel like that's like the biggest point of like mm-hmm. it's about the heart of the matter of like Luke you were saying earlier of you know like it might look good from the outside you might have X amount of people and so like it looks good you might have a fancy church etc but like what I've noticed a lot of like because I have been like volunteered or like been in some leadership within churches of like closer and closer you keep getting into like the heart quote unquote of the church of like who's running it in a sense like the uglier it gets and the more you like I don't want any part of this like 
where are you focused on the numbers? Are you focused on how you look or what other people think of you and that? And like the aspect even too for like when you're looking at a church, are you looking at it for how nice it looks or something like that? Or are you looking actually at the heart of like what does this heart of the church like portray? Is it matching up with like how the Pharisees were or like what Jesus was like talking about? That's something I haven't said in a long time. But I used to say the easiest way to get disillusioned with Christianity is to start volunteering in the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is awful, but But honestly, I was I've been called to volunteer to church consistently for the past five years. And I have I've served in various roles and function, doing my best to serve the church that I was called to. Why? I don't know. Sometimes. I've learned a lot along the way, and some of it was only apparent years after I was there. But I just do it because I'm called. I could sit around and ask for a reason, and I'd probably get one, but I really feel like I need one. Is great among the nations, 
says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you dishonor my name with your actions. By bringing contemptible food, you are saying it's all right to defile the Lord's table. You say it's too hard to serve the Lord, and you turn your nose at my commands, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Think of it. Animals that are stolen and crippled and sick are being presented as offerings. Should I accept from you such offerings as these, asked the Lord? Should I accept from you such offerings as these? <coughs> Should I accept from you? These people have given them, like, the leftovers, the stuff they didn't want, the stuff they didn't have any use for. God says, should I even accept this? What do I want to do with this? What? I don't want anything to do with this. Why, why have you given this to me? I won't even take it from you. And so I'll ask you, if you are being contemptible with the sacrifice you've given to God, why are you surprised when you're not seeing it? Why are you surprised when he's not accepting it? Why are you surprised when you're like, oh, I just feel like, you know, I just give God like 30 minutes every morning. I'm sorry, Liz, I forgot you did that before I said that. But for Liz, it's a discipline of the yeah. spirit. Honestly, and I know that about her, and I'm not like bashing on Liz. It's an important I give God discipline. 30 minutes, that's enough. <laughs> like, that, exactly. Because no, it's not just, it's just, it's yeah. the, I, I, right. I give God just, Right, and, and I know that, like, for Liz, it's not just 30 minutes, and that her spirit, like, her spirit pursues that, and she needs a discipline in the morning to set her day right. So I'm not bashing on Liz. I think that's a good practice, and I encourage her to do it. But that's an example of the heart behind the thing. Because Liz has a good heart behind it, and that's cool. But if you have a bad heart behind the sacrifice, if you have, like, just before you fall asleep, you do your little devotional on the Bible app, and you're like, oh man, I leveled up my Christianity today. Look at that, I got a little badge. <laughs> if you do that just before you fall asleep, why are you surprised when you can't clearly discern the voice of the Father? Why are you surprised when you don't know the voice of the stranger and the voice of the Father? Why are you surprised when, when people just come and like they just teach things, and you're like, oh, I didn't know better. Hosea 4.6, right? People are destroyed for their lack of knowledge. You don't know better because you don't give the time to it. You don't know better because you don't give the sacrifice to it. Because it's not a priority in your mind, it's a leftover. That's what was happening in Malachi. He wasn't a priority, he was a leftover. God says, I don't even want these. It would be better to just shut it, shut the doors, quit the whole thing, forget it all. I don't even want this. That's what God said. We don't like that version. I'm not, I know this directly ties, but I can't directly tie it, so I'm just going to say it. And if somebody else directly ties it, that'd be awesome, thanks. Um, but I just think a big part of the way we do that is not only in, like, we do this thing where we, like, don't honor God and we give Him, like, give him leftovers, but part of it is in the way we do the things, not just read our Bible, but things like go to church. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we think like, oh, I went to church, that's good, I'm supposed to go to church, and if you're not going to church because you're called, or this, that, or the other, but I think, in literally, you can be called to a church service, go to a church service, and still give God your leftovers. Because um, if you sit and you take in what your pastor said, and you just accept it as fact, and you don't 
into it. You don't look into the scripture. You don't double check. Like, I know Jonathan likes to read like one or two verses and then skip, and then one or two verses and then skip. Like, if you're not Jonathan is the pastor at University Church, sorry. Uh, like, if you're not then looking around, if you're not looking at that context, you're not like you should be checking your pastor. I don't care if your pastor went to school for twelve years. You should be, even if it's not a, it shouldn't be a, I don't trust my pastor and I'm the only one who can read it, but it should be a, you want to understand. And it may be you want to understand for yourself exactly what the pastor's teaching, or it may be oftentimes you open it up and you're like, oh, the context of this gives it a totally different cue that's a different focus than we focus on today. And I just, I think church, going to church is one of the biggest ways that we treat God with contempt. We go to a service because we're supposed to go to a service, and then we sit there, and we space out, we don't listen, and we don't take it with us, and we take the three bullet points on the screen, and we say, cool, that's right, I'm going to love my mom better. Like, I remember him reading about honoring my parents, I'm going to clean my room today, instead of, like, actually taking it to heart and looking at what God has to say about it. That's just something we were passed down. Yeah. We need to question it with scripture. In Acts 2, the believers met every day. They broke bread. They shared meals every day. Uh, I'm just going to go out on a limb here and maybe say that maybe the reason we don't see the power of Acts 2, maybe the reason we don't see the, the depth of faith in Acts 2, is we don't act like they acted at the beginning. Most of us meet, what, two, three times a week? Maybe. Usually if you're at a church, you just go, you consume, and then you leave. And if you're, if you're super extra about your faith, then you go to a Bible study. But what about Acts 2 says, oh, you meet once a week? Honestly, in Acts 2, I bet some of them took the Sabbath day off of meeting. They said, oh, it's the Sabbath day. Sorry, guys, I'm an introvert. I'm not going to meet. But we've twisted that. Done the complete opposite. We say, okay, we're going to only meet one day a week. What about that is biblical? Or is it just something that was handed down? Well, I was going to, this was a thought earlier, and it actually ties to that pretty well. And not to, like, humanize God too much. And, I don't know. But just this idea of, like, a relationship, and that's overplayed as well. But this idea of, like, if you think about your friendships or like people who come to you and they just like bring you their leftover time, like you can clearly tell, or you're like you're texting them and you're like, hey, let's hang out, and they're like, oh, I can't today, and they don't like actually pursue that, and like then it just it feels awkward, and then you hang out and you're like, I don't even know you anymore, like who are you, like that type of thing, and so it leads into that too with like the body of Christ, it's like are we meeting enough together to know each other, and that's how it should be with God as well, and. If you're meeting with, if you gave him more of your time, then you would know that he wouldn't want you leftovers. Like you would understand that dimension of your relationship. Um, and so I think sometimes that really helps for me. Not all the time, but like kind of saying like, okay, if God was my friend, would I like the way I'm acting with him? And not to humanize him too much, which I'm learning that I don't want to do that. But I think it's kind of helpful in this context a little bit. Um, yeah, I think that's valuable. Yeah, sure, go ahead. You're also kind of like looking over me, that's why I wasn't like sure if I could. Um, anyway, but this whole time I've kind of just been thinking about like the idea of like tithing. Of, um, a lot of the time we think about it of like, oh, I have to give like 
sense of that, but it wasn't just like 10% of your money, but like the first 10%. So like, and like, that's not just with money, but like literally anything of like, what are you, are you putting God first? Because like, we're told to seek him and his kingdom first, but a lot of times, I think the idea of like how we go about it is just like whenever he conveniently like fits in with our already pre-planned time or already however we need to spend our money this month like well I have this money now that I can like give and it's okay if I do it now instead of like when you get your paycheck doing it then you like beginning of your week this is like that kind of attitude instead of necessarily like even like the amount of time but like are you putting God first? When Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to God, <coughs> Abel brought his first fruits. Exactly. And God honored him because of that, and Cain killed him. That wasn't So that. <laughs> um, it's all right, though. But I guess with that, the, the question that honestly has to be asked is how can so many people do it wrong then? If you're saying that like, well, we should only we should meet more than once a week. What do we do about all the churches who only meet once a week? Do we sit here and say they're all doing it wrong? If that's what it takes. I think the attitude of that too is that we think of church buildings as church. Like we don't think like, like, uh, your church building should be setting up opportunities for you to create church communities. Like, or it should be setting it up, but it shouldn't be the only way you're getting it. I'm not saying like your your church community needs to be set in your church, but like a church building is not a replacement for a community. Like going to a Sunday morning service is not a replacement for having a community. So if we're gonna have Sunday morning church services, why? What is the purpose? What is the purpose? Are you building a community? Are you meeting people where you can build a community? I mean, we met, Luke and I met probably like half, maybe not half, but a decent amount of people in this room through going to a church. But that's not, like, diversity church is not my community. And so I think, like, that's a, that's a problem. Maybe not as much in this room as just in general Christianity, but, like, we don't care about having a church community. We care about having a home church. Not to, we don't have to talk about this tonight, but I would like to talk about it in a different area of like how we can like still show honor to people when we're like correcting them. Just like, but not like, don't, we don't have to get on it now without the. There was one time I corrected Juliet in front of everybody too. I don't know if you're going for that. I think that was right after when you corrected her about the situation that I was I, I corrected her in front of everybody. Um, and then, yeah, she taught that night because I trusted her and I wanted to prove it. Yeah. But I okay. think a lot of it, too, is, is how like we approach correction as a church. Uh, if we approach correction as saying, I'm right and you're wrong, it's not worth anything. Or you said. So, yeah, but if you say I want it to be more, I think that's valuable. Because that should be hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of times, like in that, it's just like not telling people they're. Sometimes you have to just like be like, 
wrong, somebody, like you learned something incorrectly, but a lot of times it's a, this is incomplete. And like, right. that's why we were made to be alone. Well, that's yeah. why we were made to be in community. Yeah. It's like, I think too, just like, like with that of like, allowing it of like, I don't want you, like, like improvement or like, you have like, like you're not just supposed to like stay here. But like, if I like don't like tell you this, like it'll keep you here forever. Yeah. I just think it's really interesting, and I've noticed this before, but just how like dang aggressive Jesus is with the Pharisees, and I'm like, I'm supposed to take that approach. Like, I don't necessarily think so, but like praying into that, and like he doesn't seem very like honoring of the Pharisees, and like why would he be? Well, I exactly why would he be? But that's kind of like my thing that's been ingrained in me is like honor is really important. Sure, it absolutely is to the right people. Yeah, but if if, if Jesus people. honored the Pharisees, no, yeah, no, you're, yeah, he would have incorrectly been endorsing them. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, and that's a hard thing to say. And Jesus was honestly. Like, can you imagine somebody coming against like Jesus did? <laughs> like, not even not even the way I do it. Because I understand that I do come against a lot of, like, religious institutions. But he called them out by name. He was like, you have deceit in your hearts. I know that you think this about me. This, this, and this is what's wrong with your heart. Like, directly to their face. Can you imagine if somebody did that? If somebody went to a pastor and he's like, I don't feel like this, this, and this are scriptural. What would he do? He'd probably ask you to leave. Go find another church. He'd probably never talk to you again. He'd probably say, oh, that's just the persecution of the enemy. <laughs> Sometimes it can be. But if there's scripture to back it up, there's biblical precedence for Jesus doing the same thing. Right. You also, like, you have to understand, I'm willing to, like, tear down the entire religious institution this country and like the surrounding five. <laughs> but that's just me. Let's go. Let's and like you don't know, so like just like that you understand the place that I'm coming from. I don't think it's a healthy thing just in general. I think most people are just told to sit in a pew and wait for things to get better. Oh. And I think I think that is extremely dangerous to people. So literally, when like Karl Marx says like religion is the opium of the people, he says it's the painkiller that keeps them docile. And so, so I question like, is your religious system a painkiller just to keep you docile, just to keep you waiting for the next thing? Yeah. Yeah. Just like, oh, just hold on a little bit longer. God is fighting for you. That's awesome. Like, yeah, sure, God fights for me, but you know what? The truth, I fight for God. I give him my life. Every breath that I breathe is his spirit living in me. What about that says just hold on? Just wait a little bit longer. No, Jesus says the time is short. The harvest is great. The workers are few. Wake up, sleeper. That's the Bible. It's not sit around and wait for things to get better. 
It is a painkiller. Christ himself spoke against that. If you are not worried about man-made ideas as commands from God, you are not you are not following the teachings of Jesus Christ. If you are not worried about man-made teachings sneaking in and being the precepts of God, then you are not a Christian. Now, if you fall short in some of your walk, that's okay. There's grace and mercy. But if you're not at least cautious of it, you're not like Christ. Not only was he cautious of it, he was actively like attacking of it. If we really do seek to be like Christ, then we can't pick and choose what parts. If we really do seek to follow the true and alive God the one with the power to heal the one with the power to, to bring the dead back to life then we can't pick and choose what parts it also appears in the gospel of Mark same story, same thing I just want to throw it in there so when we quote Mark 7.13 and we say that the traditions of man nullify the word of God God Mark 7.13 is the same story as Matthew 15. What's up, Jeff? Can we like, talk about the idea of like, what it looks like to honor your mother and father? I think, as, as many of you know, I have had a rocky relationship with my parents. Uh, but it's better now. Honestly, it is. And as somebody who comes from kind of that place of like, what do I do about that? Like, did my parents lead me to the faith? No. But have they done a lot for me? Yeah. I try to remember them for the complete people that they were. I try to talk about them as complete people, as both good and bad. But in the same way that I would treat anybody else, I won't try to talk bad about somebody if they're not there. Something I'm honestly like pretty passionate about is positive gossip. 
You're like, positive gossip, what is that? It's like, if Nathan's not here, I'm going to talk about him in a positive light. So like, if Nathan's not here, I'm going to say, oh yeah, like Nathan is just like excited to see me every time I see him and it makes me feel good. Like he's always like, oh, what's up, man? How you doing? And I honestly feel cared about. That's something I would say if he were not here. I approach my parents with the same thing. So like we're going paintballing for my bachelor party. Do you know who first brought me paintballing? My dad. It was so fun. Because like it was just a bunch of middle school guys and like he used to paintball all the time when he was young. Uh, so he took us all out and he was like, he was honestly really good at it. Um, it was just, it was a lot of fun to be with him. And like, he taught me how to, like, how to go paintballing. He taught me how to lift. He taught me how to drive stick. He's the reason I drive so aggressively. <laughs> he grew up in Chicago. It's just how he was taught. Are there bad parts of him? Sure. Am I just going to air that out if you don't ask? No. If you do ask, we can talk about that. But I'm only going to, honestly, pretty much unless it comes up in a very specific and direct context, I'm only going to bring up good things. What's up, Kai? Stephen was being 
stoned to death. He said, forgive them, Father. They know not what they do. When Jesus Christ was being crucified, he said the same thing. Why would I say anything different about my parents? And you're like, oh, they knew exactly what they were doing. They were stoning them to death. Yeah, they were. They didn't understand the consequences of their own actions, though. How could they? So, yeah, my parents hurt me, but I've forgiven them. And they've still done a lot for me, and I'm going to honor them for that. <coughs> Galatians 2. You and I are Jews by birth, not sinners like the Gentiles. Yet we know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. And we have believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we have obeyed the law. For no one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. But suppose we seek to be made right with God through faith in Christ, and then our then we are found guilty because we have abandoned the law. Would that mean Christ had led, has led us to sin? Absolutely not. Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the old system of law I already tore down, for when I tried to keep the law, it condemned me. So I died to the law. I stopped trying to meet all its requirements so that I might live for God. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless. For, for if keeping the law can make us right with God, then there is no need for Christ to die. When anybody tells you you got to act a certain way to be a Christian, that's pretty much wrong. Honestly. Now, in a lot of things, I will question your heart. <coughs> like, even if you lead a Bible study, though, I'm going to question that heart. Honestly. Colin came to me. He was like, hey, man, I want to start a small group. I just barraged him with questions because I was cautious of that. And after I was satisfied, yeah, he started a small group. We went well. I did go well. I did question his heart. <coughs> I never questioned his law, though. I'm not going to question his rules. I'm not going to question his regulations, only the heart. Because it's not about rules. And if everybody says it is about rules, you just question them with scripture like Jesus did and then probably get thrown out of the church and killed. But then you'll get honor in heaven, so it's kind of a win. Win-win <laughs> <laughs> situation. No more church in heaven. I mean, I really don't. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, though. But, like, if... Okay. Um, we're going to skip around. Uh, somebody find 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, Jesus will be persecuted. There are some verses where we're like, we're going to unpack it. We're like, we're going to talk about like the different things that it could mean. But, but he says anybody who seeks to lead a godly life will be persecuted. He doesn't say, Timothy, if you seek to lead a godly life, you're going to be persecuted. He's not saying that to Timothy. He's just saying that as a general rule. 
He says, anybody who seeks to lead a godly life will be persecuted. If you want to be a Christian, you will be persecuted. If you want to follow the pattern of the prophets of Jesus Christ and all the apostles that came after him, you will be persecuted. If you don't want to be persecuted, go find another religion. Or just give it up altogether and be condemned to darkness. I'm sorry. There are only so many ways I can put this. There's going to be persecution if you are authentic in your pursuit. But that's good news because persecution is honor. So change the way you think about persecution. Does it suck for a minute? Sure, but like you're probably on the right path. So like honor in heaven is nice, right? I guess. Whatever. Galatians 2.18. Go read that one. Go back to it. I know, I know how you read it. Galatians 2.18? Yeah. No. no. I've got it. Rather, I am a sinner. If I rebuild the old system of law, I already tore down. <laughs> Rather, I am a sinner if I rebuild the law. So Jesus, okay, so like there was the law. People were unrighteous. God was like, oh, you can't be my people. And then he was like, oh, if you kill a whole bunch of animals, my justice will be satisfied for a little while. And they were like, okay, sure, we'll do that. And they just killed animals over and over and over again. And then for like, a, what, like, how, how many years? But they stopped killing animals, basically. Well, the temple got destroyed. Yeah. That was like a big part of the deciding, like the Jews went through like a whole reformation when the temple got destroyed. Yeah. So that they would no longer have to do sacrifices and basically like change their beliefs to say that like the time they gave to God or the work they did was the sacrifice instead of the animals. But and God didn't want that. Bible, but that happened in their God wanted blood. Just because, like, blood was the only thing that was going to make it right. It's like, God is just. And if God's not holy, then Jesus Christ didn't need to die. So, I want to believe God's holy because I want to believe that there's, like, something good. And God is the only thing that's good. And that's what the Bible says. <laughs> so, Jesus Christ came and he died to satisfy all the requirements that made them, like, unrighteous in God's sight. And they said, like, okay, so if you are not my people, you have to do this, this, and this to be my people. And then it was like, oh, if you are not my people, I'm going to send my son to die so you can be my people. And so in doing so, he made it so that the law was outside of his will. Jesus Christ is proof that the law is outside the will of God. And in Galatians, it says... I am a sinner if I rebuild the law because the law is outside of the will of God. If you came to faith and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Free grace. Love it. And then you're like, okay, so I need to go write down a whole bunch of rules about how I'm going to live my life now. You're just rebuilding the law. And somebody should correct you so you aren't destroyed for your lack of knowledge. If you're trying to earn it with a whole bunch of requirements, give up. Just give God your life. Let him use it. What do you got, Kai? Um, we do a really bad job with that when we fall. We do a really, really bad job of saying, oh, I messed up and I did something wrong. We don't almost ever say, I did this and I'm upset because of what that tells me about my heart. 
because that tells me that there's still work to be done because that tells me that I still care about this more than I should or that. And I think like, even in this group, we do it. And I think we do it because it's easier than more than like, because we actually aren't worried about our hearts. Yeah. Um, but we just, we do a lot of like, oh, I fell, in, I watched porn last night. Oh, I fell, I looked at somebody less, I don't know why sex is the only sin I can think of that has direct rules, but that's probably because of church. Church is weird about sex. Right, we're extra weird about sex, and so we feel most bad about sexual, lustful, whatever it is. Uh, And so, but we, like, we don't ever, when we come to each other, at least, I hope we all, like, do it in our own hearts, but we come to each other, we come to each other and say, hey, I did this, and I think it happened because of this, or because this needs work in my heart because of this. We just come and we're like, oh, I fell. And I think that's why accountability gets messed up, too, in part, is because, like, we don't give each other the chance to support and encourage each other. We just say, like, I fell. Keep me from falling. Help me, like, check in so I don't fall. Check in, brother. What do you guys have? I was just thinking of how, like, the whole idea of, like, repentance is, like, so so screwed up and how we usually do it wrong. Of, like, we, like, what Kyra was saying of, like, oh, I fell. I did this. But, like, that's it. Like, there's no, like, our mind doesn't change on it. The whole idea of repentance is a change of mind. But like you might feel bad about you what you did, and that's okay. But you have to have a change of mind because it also like it's a heart change in that of you're doing something new, like approaching it. And you might still fall after that, but you're you're <laughs> um, you're not your heart is now like pursuing the right like the right like direction in that, and like you're not because I think sometimes too is like. We get so focused on being like, this is what happened, like I messed up or whatnot, but we don't, we like glorify that instead glorify, of glorify the process, not God. Yeah, but like even just like what happened, we like glorify it. And like it's honestly becomes unintentional that we glorify it too, though, because we think we're bringing it into the light and like we begin to, but then we just like dig into that instead of like honestly even like our heart or like what God says about it of the fact that he does give you new mercies every single day and that in his mind like it didn't happen anymore like you are made new today focus on that instead of you messed up and I think that's kind of like you're even like your mind change in that of like okay I did do this but now I'm a new person today let's pursue this let's see what God is doing forgiving you pack up your mat and follow Really quickly to go off of that, I think that what you're saying, Harley, about like, okay, this is what, like, you were talking about the heart, and you were like, okay, I'm, I'm upset that I did this, but like, this was the heart behind it. I think sometimes for me, it's hard to like psychoanalyze myself, and I like don't even recognize like why I might have done that. And so going way back to what I was talking about, like community and like being known, has been something really that I'm working towards and like why do I feel the need to be known but then when you're in community like and coming to someone they can point that out too they can be like hey I think this might be why you did this and so I think that's really helpful as well where it's like you're beating yourself up and you're like oh I can't believe I slipped into these old habits but then I had a conversation with Kylie a couple days ago and she was like well you might have done this because your whole view on sexuality is purely wrong (laughs) and so like I think that's
adversity sometimes. So when like you're in a hard situation and you know who you can lean on because you know. So that's just a look. Alright. So so in, in Matthew twenty three, Jesus was really upset. In Malachi, Malachi was a prophet bringing to the people, speaking for God, and he was like, mm, God's really upset. Now we're going to go to Isaiah. <laughs> Molly and I were reading this a while back. Isaiah 1, 11 through 17. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams, and of the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your increase or your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon, feasts, and your appointed festivals. I hate with all my being. They have been a, they have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eye from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Sorry, I probably should not be laughing. I just freaking love God. (laughs) (laughs) Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So, those of you who know me, no, I'm not really a fan of Christmas or Easter. Uh, Christmas is a winter pagan festival that they brought a tree inside, decorated it, and got really drunk. And it was a dark season, and that's why they did that. And then it's become this massive consumerism and just awful. And I really like Easter because it's a pagan fertility tradition. That's why they're eggs and rabbits. Because rabbits breed very, very quickly. And that's why, like, it's a fertility thing. It's for spring. It's for worship of what? Like, spring spirits or, like, whatever. So that's why I don't like those. And I feel like Isaiah 1, he's like, I don't want your new moon festivals. I don't want your winter festivals. I don't want your spring festivals. And I feel like. That's why I don't really like them. Like, you can enjoy them, and that's fine. I'm not like upset with you, but I'm just telling you, I don't like Eastern Christmas, and I don't like them because of Isaiah. Um, other thing, still God speaking about how upset he is about meaningless offering. He's upset about useless assemblies. He's upset about the way that they're doing religion. And again, he says, I would rather have nothing than this. 127. What do you got? Um, I just want to point something out real quick, just within the language of that, which it's not, it depends on your translation, but it's still the same attitude of, uh, they have become burdensome for me. Which I think is really, really important that we don't look at it and say, like, oh, this is, this was always burdensome because God would not have set this, like, set up sacrifice and such mm-hmm. as the, I, I hate to say the waiting period, as the, like, what happened in the waiting period for Jesus, but, like, I think it's a 
first of all, that God didn't like set something up with his people or like say like, this is how it's gonna work. And it was like inherently burdensome for him. And so I think, and I think like what was talking about of like our traditions and our festivals become about bunnies and eggs and not the resurrection of Christ. Yeah, that's like think- what I was thinking is, sorry, just like, I mean like, both of them were like, came out of like a pagan tradition. So like that's like one body point for me is just how a lot of times for Christians we just take things that were already made and then like try to make them ours, but it's not put on the right like it was never built on the right foundation to begin with. And so like that's like my problem with it is because like we can't like we're not creating anything new. We're just keep keep building on what was already there and it doesn't have a good foundation to begin with. So it's not like good you didn't tear it down and then yeah it up. you just built on top of it like exactly. having a day to celebrate the coming of the messiah and then the resurrection of the messiah after the crucifixion i think is a good idea i'm yeah. okay with that but it's like all the heart behind it is and i think the like true heart of like that of actually celebrating like the messiah coming and the messiah dying for us or rising both Yes. <laughs> I was like, wait, Easter isn't really the death, but whatever. Both of it. Uh, it's like important, but like the focus, I feel like, of that still gets so like diluted or like covered up because like you might go to church on that, but then you go and have some celebration that isn't focused on that. So and Easter egg hunt at church. That's um, something I'm going to question. And next thing is a lot of churches will make Easter service their biggest service of the year. I'm going to question that. Are you giving honor to a pagan fertility ritual by doing that? Sometimes. Sometimes not. Just questions. You're going to call it Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection Sunday. But I, as much as we make fun of that, like, I do think that's... Much better. Yeah, like, I think it's important Mm -hmm. that if we are going to say, like, no, I'm not going to not celebrate it, and I'm not going to not celebrate it when the most people are going to feel called to come to church and, like, listen, or maybe feel ready to listen to the call to come to church. That's a better way to put it. But, like, I think it is important that we watch our words and we watch what we're doing. Right. Because it's Resurrection Sunday, and people are like... Oh, this is the resurrection. Okay. It's the whole point of and Jesus. And I feel like that's like even Jesus. built on a completely different foundation than like Easter, but trying to throw Jesus in there. Right. They might be doing it at the same time because that's the best way to reach people as God is calling them and they're yeah. listening. Some people only for like Christmas part of it. Some people don't even like celebrate Christmas, but they only celebrate Epiphany instead. Actually, fun fact. Right, Janice. Just like that. <laughs> yeah. So Epiphany Sunday is basically like when the um, wise men came. Oh, which is not like the sixth or the twelfth or it's they brought January. they brought like funeral spices to a baby. What is Except up with that? that? <laughs> but yes, yeah. There's no three days. What's yes. what's that preservative we use? Formaldehyde. That's like bringing formaldehyde to like a baby. You're like, I brought you this formaldehyde for your baby. It's like. They're not dead. He's like, oh yeah, but. Wait, what are you? Saying? Not exactly. <laughs> what were you? What the spices were you? The what? Spices were what were you? The spices, yeah. The. Those spices are what you brought to a king, but like myrrh in itself is a resemblance of suffering. Right. And 
Yeah. Oh, they were like traditionally funeral spices. You brought them to a king, though. Like that's tradition. like we're getting short on time and I think we're getting sidetracked a little bit and a little bit often so I love questions but I think like question your questions before you ask them please and if they can wait until after wait until after uh, Isaiah 127 Zion will be restored by justice those who repent will be revived by righteousness hey quick question all right pop quiz who's going to be revived by righteousness those who repent. Thank you, Emily. Are we cool with that logic? Is repentance a precursor to being revived by righteousness? Yes. Are we okay with that? Yeah. You understand like the logic behind that? I'm really good with that. Alright. <coughs> I'm serious. I actually prefer it that way. Oh, yeah. I'm really good with that. Though, yeah. If you repent, you will be saved by righteousness. If you repent, if you turn away from the way of the world and turn towards the way of the King, of Jesus Christ, that's when you will be saved. That's when you will be given righteousness. Is when you put on a new mindset, when you think about things in a new light. When your first thought is always, oh, how should I respond to this? Respond to this because I'm a Christian. Sorry. I was just thinking about Peter. I feel like when you think about repentance, like just look at Peter. Of, I feel like he shows it really well. Of he did feel bad, like he even says like, in the Bible, like he wept bitterly, like after like betraying or denying Jesus, not whatever, yeah. denying Jesus, and like Jesus was dead. But then like when he was told the tomb was empty, he immediately ran towards it. And like I think that's like really important of the idea of like repentance, of like you're changing your mind and you're not running away from whatever it was. Like he ran towards God yeah. not instead of running away from towards like, kind of that because I, I do feel that too and that's like where people get caught because they feel like something's constantly behind them which is like that's not there anymore yeah Romans 6.16 do you not realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey you can be a slave to sin which leads to death or you can choose to obey God which leads to righteous living it, it ends there. There's honestly, there's no options. But like, they're, they're like, those are your two things. Like, there are no other categories. Even if you choose to obey yourself, that's still sin. You yeah. choose to be a slave to sin, or you choose to be a slave to God. Well, there are a lot of like different kinds of sin. I'm not going to go and talk about them. But those are your two dealios. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. 
God does not despise a broken and contrite heart. He appreciates that sacrifice. He does not appreciate burnt offerings or other stuff. Like, it's, it's the same thing. And yes, I am drilling it in. But it's because you don't believe me. When I say I'm not really happy with the way the world is with its religion right now. Because you think I'm a little, like, extracurricular biblical. I'm not adding anything. This is the Bible. This is biblical. God is not happy with burnt offerings. He's happy with a broken and contrite heart. How many times have your heart, has your heart been broken and contrite before the Father because you are a mess in need of a Savior? That's what makes God happy. Not endless sacrifices. Not a streak on your Bible app. Not going to church. Not tithing. Not serving at your, at your faith community. Not community service. Nothing. It's not worth anything. A broken and contrite heart, however, is worth the world to him, so much so that he was willing to die for it. Last one. Gotcha. Having a form of godliness and denying his power have nothing to do with such people. They are the kind who worm their way into things and gain control over noble women who are loaded down with sin and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janice and John Bre- Janice and John Brez, question mark, is that how you pronounce his name? Ooh, no. <laughs> Just as John- <laughs> Janice and John Brez opposed Moses, so also these teachers oppose the truth. They are men of depraved minds who, as far as their faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. The form of godliness, but denying of its power. And like it's cool, you're like, oh, those people having a form of godliness but denying of its power. And like most of us understand that. We, we understand that those people are like, we understand who those people are. And like they sneak, sneak in and they take advantage over those weak in the faith. And those who are burdened down by sin get taken advantage of by those having a form of godliness but denying of its power. If you are burdened by your sin and you just go to church and you feel condemned and condemned and condemned... That's honestly, that's 2 Timothy 3. Like, word for word. But 2 Timothy 3, 5, the verse 5, finishes the very powerful statement. It says, have nothing to do with these people. It doesn't even say, like, oh, treat them as the Gentiles. It doesn't say that. It says, have nothing to do with these people. It says, don't even talk to them. Don't worry about them. Don't spend your time on them. Don't be Facebook friends with them. Don't text them. Don't spend any of your time around them. Don't have anything to do with these people. Don't even dishonor them when you're not around them. Just don't have anything to do with them. That's the response to people who have a form of godliness but denying its power. So if you wonder why I don't talk about people, or why I don't mention things when you ask, or why I'm not involved with certain things, It might be because I don't have time, but everybody can make time. So, go for it. Sorry. Um, How do you? I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this, but like, how do you basically like honor those who might who like do that, like in that verse, when like people might ask about them? 
like how do you basically because like you basically don't have anything to say because you don't have anything to do with them because like that is scriptural but like do you know what I'm saying? I'm just sad on that. Honestly. I mean I think you just said what you just said like I don't really have anything to do with them. No. You just be honest you're like yeah, I don't know I don't really hang around them. Not really in my circle. Right. That's honestly, that's usually what I say. But like anybody, like I don't know, I'm not really in my circle. And then it's just kind of like whether I choose that or not, they're outside of my sphere of existence. But you're kind of where, where I wanted to end tonight. It's like, what's the point of all of this? Honestly, it's for you to trust me a little bit more. It's for you to trust us a little bit more. He's like, yeah, we are cautious of religious institutions. (laughs) And I get the way that comes across. I know what we look like. So you ever ask why we don't have a brand, why we're not operating with a church, why we aren't even like a club on campus, why we're not anything. This is why. This is my heart behind that. Because not only do I read this, but I want to prove it. I want to say like, yeah, I read that, I stand behind it, I'm going to act like it. That's why I don't have a brand. That's why this isn't part of a church. It's just us. Should you trust us? I don't know. Should you trust this? Yeah, probably. If you don't trust us, tell us, and we probably will listen to correction. I feel like we're pretty good about that because we don't have a brand. We don't even have a leader. I haven't been around for like the past two weeks. This is like the most public thing I've done in, in about 12 days. I had lunch with Julia, but I was weird during it. No, it's not right. <laughs> It's okay. What, yeah, like what do you want you. from me? I was a mess. I'm not mad. Because if I die, if I'm not around, it's not like it falls apart. You guys are still around. <laughs> or like if I'm off in my honeymoon. Let's, let's, let's go that way. If I'm off on my honeymoon spending time with my wife, this isn't going to fall apart. I didn't tell anybody we were meeting tonight. I didn't. Obviously. Who invited people tonight? Oh, actually, I did. He's not here, though. I thought it was Tuesday all day today. That's why you haven't committed more fully. That's why I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But, but here's the thing is, I know that's why you haven't committed more fully. You just keep coming around because you feel spiritually fed here. That's awesome, and I'm happy about that, but I want you to like feel secure in being spiritually fed by this. I want you to like feel comfortable in your spirit that like you are spiritually fed when you come here. Because that attitude, the thing that leaks out, out of the abundance of the heart does the mouth speak. That's out of the abundance of my heart. That's why it leaks. That's why it speaks. You have to know that it's biblical. You have to know that it is founded in the same opinions of Jesus Christ, the same opinions of the prophets in the Old Testament. It's not even just like this random teaching out of one of Paul's epistles. It's there. It's here. It's everywhere. <laughs> but that's, that's what I'm saying, though, is you have to know. Like, you have to be okay with that. I want you to be okay with that. I want you to, like, feel okay that you're being spiritually fed by this Bible study, by these people. Because I know some of you are uncomfortable with that. Like, people are like, oh, where are you spiritually fed? And you're kind of scoring me. You're like, oh, I go to church on Sunday mornings at... You know, what a life cross point church. That's like I'm just being facetious, but I know you squirm and you're afraid to tell people because we don't have a brand and because we're a little bit extreme? Crazy? Are we crazy or extreme or are we just biblical? It's my honest question. Are we crazy or extreme, or are we just doing our best to follow the teachings of the Bible? Uh-uh. <laughs> I mean, some of the things that we said are like a little bit out of my comfort zone, but that doesn't mean it's wrong by any means. What do you got, Kai? I, I think most of the time, I don't feel like we're extreme, but I think that's because most of the time you use the word extreme, it's about rules. Like, you're extreme as a conservative because you put rules on what people can do with body, makeup, hair, beliefs, uh, or, like, politics, voting, driving, blah, blah, if you can use electricity, you know, and then you are extreme, well, you're extreme, um, what's the word? Liberal, sorry. It's the opposite of conservative. You're an extreme, or you're extreme liberal if everybody has to speak in tongues and fall on the floor, and everybody has to do this, and has to that. Yeah, so I think like Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
I guess correct me if I'm wrong, like, but like, I feel like sometimes it's not even like we feel extreme, but the way like other uh, people, people you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, are you guys just some crazy extreme thing? You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, something, something I, I do here is like, I don't know if like they're ready for that. That's not your place to decide. Right. Like, yeah. if you invite somebody and you're like, I don't know if they're ready for this Bible study, who are you? Right. <laughs> I wasn't ready for half the Bible studies I went to. That probably saved my life. And because I wasn't ready for them, I was probably a little bit more open to them. And it probably helped a little bit more because of that. So, like, when you invite people, like, I, I want you to be like, even, even if this is wild, even if this is stuff that you won't hear, Hardly anywhere else, even if nobody else is teaching this, I at least want you to know it's biblical. And I at least want you to know, like, we're sensitive to the Spirit. As in, like, yeah, I know you guys don't trust that. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel that. I, I've heard that. I see that. So I want to address it. And depending on who comes, changes what's addressed. So that's why, like, this is all there tonight. It's, it's just so you know, like, we are trying to be biblical in everything that we do. Even the, even the approach we take to church. The approach that we take to religion. And I want you to be okay with inviting people. Even inviting people who you might not think to. Yeah. And I don't care if they come or not. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't change what I'm proud of. It changes what I teach. You're right. Because they need to hear different stuff. What do you got, Molly? This is actually a big thing I just realized. I think because a lot of us, which I think it's okay, and I've kind of gotten in this thing where it's like deconstructing, and a lot of us have like already been like in the face or been like exposed to like religion or whatever and so I've kind of only thought to invite people that like need deconstructing or I think it would like be beneficial again with your friends like that but Luke was saying like invite people who you wouldn't expect and I was like yeah I'm gonna invite like one of my quote unquote like non-believer friends because if they get this before they get religion like Hell yeah, like that's awesome. Do you know what I mean? And so I think that's really powerful too, where I've kind of felt like this group is only for people who have been Christians and are reworking their frame of religion. But that shouldn't be where we like, where we start. Like that can be where we started, but like I think it's as important for a new believer to come in this and be like, okay, this is what, and get it right the first time. Like, how amazing would it be that they don't have to learn from our mistakes? They can just get it right the first time. Now, yeah. the, the hard part about that is oftentimes new believers will come here, and what we're saying doesn't line up with the Christianity that they see around. And they'll be like, oh, so the majority must be right. And so they go to the majority, and they invest in the wrong places. Right. I see that a lot, okay. honestly. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's that's where like the relationship aspect comes in. If you invite somebody and they come, you need to make sure that they are questioning okay. You need to make sure that they're investing in the right place at the right time. Because if they're not, for their lack of knowledge, will they be destroyed?
I think Jack talked about before of like um, the enemy wanting to make the name of Jesus known to lose his power. Of like everybody, no, if, you, if you go to anybody, they're most likely going to know the name of Jesus and a big knowledge of and a, big, a big knowledge of Christianity. And yeah. I think like we all need to subtract this. Oh, I hate that word. Oh my God. Um, of, of some level. Yeah. So, so I also, on this teaching and my intention with this tonight, um, if somebody has like questions about us or if they're cautious about what we're trying to do, I'm, I'm not going to like play games around it. I am trying to come against the religious system of the state. I think Indiana is too caught up in their religious traditions and their rules, and I think in doing so that they have stripped God of his power here. Honestly. I was just like, straight yeah. up, that's what I'm trying to do. Absolutely. And if you're not down with that, like, cool. You can still come and get fed, but, like, you're getting fed by somebody who thinks that, just so you know. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or just somebody, but, like, a whole group of people, like, the whole leadership of yeah. this Bible study, I feel like that's, yeah. like, an important... You're saying, I know, yeah, right. which I appreciate, because, like, you're not just, like, I don't speaking want to, for I, everybody, I, I but I feel like, majority, particularly yeah. in that, like, the people who are going to teach this at any point, the people who are going to help lead when we bring in the small groups, people who are going to serve communion if we do communion or any of the other things God leads us to, like, even if they're totally outside of the regular leadership group, like, that's where their hearts will be. Yeah. Um, well, this is for another time, but otherwise, you know, it would be awesome if we did communion again. We can do it the same way that we did it, just like afterwards. You can lead it next time. Um, we'll do a better job of bringing, we'll like bring cups or hold a dip out of this time instead of the little lids. <laughs> that was fun. I like that. Uh, was, I thought it was good. Yeah, so, so that's the thing though. It's like if somebody has questions about it, uh, like we will be posting these on our <coughs> podcast. It's on Spotify, it's on Anchor, it's on Google Podcasts, it's on Apple. Like this is platform, yeah. Yeah. Colin like submitted it for a like distribution before before we ever did anything. Uh, but it is called Martin B Stud. B Stud is one word. I mean does it have to say it? No, I think all that and she thought it was kinda funny. Well one night one night one night like Luke was like, It's Martin B Stud, change it. I was like, Okay. Mark 303. But then we start meeting Mark 303, so it can't be Mark 303. Oh, I kept saying B stud. Like, I'm not B stud. It was like, what the heck is that? Is it like Vita? Buffalo wings for the spirit. Just buffalo wings for the spirit. Yes. Just as delicious. Buffalo wings. So, so. Yes. Like, you have to know. This is what we're about, and this is what we stand behind. And that's why, it's because the hour and 50, like, damn, what the? <laughs> hour and 45 that we just talked about it for. Cool. Yeah, real confused. I forgot we started at 8. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it's only 45 minutes. Well, right now, we're at one thirty-nine. so. Let's just go to two hours. <laughs> I'm going to stop recording. <laughs>